Mars Rover Update, this week on Planetary Radio. Hi everyone, welcome to Public Radio's travel show that takes you to the final frontier. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society. Time to check in with Spirit and Opportunity. Nearly five and a half years and they are still trekking across the Red Planet. We'll get a report on the twin rovers from project scientist Bruce Banner of JPL. Bill Nye has something old and something new to talk about today. And Bruce Betts is back from Spain with lots to tell us about the night sky. Emily Lakdawalla has the week off from Q&A. You may have noticed that Emily is also taking a break from the Planetary Society blog at planetary.org. Some great folks have been filling in, including our own Bruce Betts. The Society's Director of Projects has completed his reporting from Granada, Spain, where he attended and presented at the Planetary Defense Conference. Bruce will tell us more about his trip during What's Up. You can also turn to the blog for the latest on the Dawn mission to the solar system's two largest asteroids. Mark Raymond is project system engineer for Dawn. He takes us deep inside mission operations with the fascinating and somewhat harrowing tale of a major software upgrade. Are you a bit intimidated when you upgrade your computer's operating system? Try doing it when your machine is more than 300 million kilometers from home. All went well, and Dawn is preparing for the transition from coasting back to ion engine-powered flight in June. It's a go for liftoff of Space Shuttle Atlantis on May 11, setting out for the fifth and final Hubble Space Telescope repair mission. Here's Bill. Hey, hey, Bill Nye, the planetary guy here, vice president of the Planetary Society. And this week, I want to talk about the old and the new. People are still very concerned that the space shuttle is going to be retired. And then the United States will not have any direct way to get to the International Space Station. You're going to have to rely on Russian rockets. What's the big deal? We've relied, or the United States has relied on Russian rockets for years. Get over it. Let's move on. And these aerospace workers who work on the shuttle will have their efforts best put to new projects, new adventures, new rockets, new, more efficient, less experimental spacecraft. And by the way, the Ares is going to have cost overruns, so they're trying to hurry it up. No, just, just do it right. Just, just get it done carefully. Meanwhile, meanwhile, astronomers have observed what they believe to be the oldest event ever observed, this blob of gas that happened 800 million years after the universe was formed over 13 billion years ago. And we discovered an exoplanet, a planet orbiting another star that's only, if you will, about twice the size of the Earth, not Saturn, not Jupiter, an Earth-like planet, Gliese 581e. I mean, my friends, you can worry about the past and the technology of getting up and down to space and our national concerns about who might be getting the ultimate high ground in space. But let's not forget, the discoveries being made in astronomy are astonishing. All of this will, in some way, change the world. I just encourage everybody to relax about the space shuttle program. It's time to move forward, onward, and upward. Well, thanks for listening. I gotta fly, Bill Nye the Planetary Guy.
Want to know what spirit and opportunity the Mars Exploration Rovers are up to? You have at least two choices. You can check out the detailed update just posted to planetary.org by my colleague AJS Rail, or you can stick around for my conversation with project scientist Bruce Bannard. Heck, why not do both? Bruce is a planetary scientist at the Jet Propulsion Lab near Pasadena, California, birthplace of the Twin Explorers. We're coming up on the sixth anniversaries of their launches. Maybe you were with us for the live webcast as Spirit bounced down in Gusev Crater on January 3, 2004. Opportunity landed in the Meridiani Planum exactly three weeks later. No one who helped build these little robotic emissaries thought that they would still be doing their jobs half a decade later. Hey, Bruce, thanks for joining us on Planetary Radio. I'm pleased to be here. You know, uh, Captain Kirk returns to the big screen this week. Uh, His first mission was only five years. Well, uh, we probably will uh, get pretty well past him then with with this mission. (laughs) We've already gone about uh, uh, over five years, about five years and and four months now. So uh, uh, we're definitely giving him a run for his money. What is it that Steve Squires likes to say? You're in the, uh, I don't know, what is it, fifth year or sixth year of the 90-day mission? Yeah, we're 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 into the sixth year of our 90-day mission, or 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 our uh, 1,886 sol of our uh, 90-sol mission, to be a little bit more technical. Well, we want to get to science, but uh, let's start with the health of these rovers, and in particular, uh, Spirit. Spirit has been um, having a little problem with amnesia. How is that going? Well, it's been going really well, actually. Uh, we've had about uh, two full weeks now of, of uh, operations with no further complications. Um, even while it was having these problems, it had about five days in which it had sort of a series of, uh, of events. It had some amnesia events. It had a, a few events where it uh, would restart its flight computer. Uh, just, you know, sort of said, you know, everything's bad, you know, reboot, and it rebooted and, and came back up, which, you know, kind of clears everything out and you know, starts over again, sort of like uh, your, your your desktop computer. We don't know why um, it had these uh, events where it wakes up and doesn't remember anything from the, the, the day before. But all during this, this period where these things were happening, uh, during that time it kept itself uh, power positive. It kept its thermal state nice and steady. Uh, it was... Uh, in uh, communication, was was willing to talk to us at the at the appointed times, and and so, even though this was uh, extremely concerning, on one level we felt fairly comfortable with the vehicle because it was uh, sort of doing what it needed to do and, and and recovering from these kind of strange events pretty naturally and and thoroughly, and so. Uh, we got a, a team of experts that are looking at all the data that's come down and all the, the, the clues that we have. Uh, they haven't come up with any uh, solutions yet, but they've got a, a bunch of leads that they're trying to run down and, and figure out, you know, just what went on here. Uh, meanwhile, we've gone back to normal operations, and, and uh, we're uh, re- resuming our, our, our trek around home plate. And doing that uh, backwards and, I guess, uh, making for, pretty for, pretty good time. We're, we're doing pretty good. Uh, we 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 have a hard time making progress uh, with Spirit because we have the, the, the front wheel that's uh, frozen up. So we're, we're running backwards and kind of dragging that wheel behind us, which means that any time we try to go uphill, when we've got uh, loose, loose dirt under our wheels, we tend to start digging in. And so we have to be pretty careful 
where we where we drive around home plate because there's a lot of loose dirt uh, lying around uh, on the ground, you know, blown up against up against slopes and things like that. So uh, we're being pretty careful, and, and uh, you know we're getting you know a little bit bogged down here and there. And when we do, we we back up and and, and try another direction. And so uh, we had some pretty long drives uh, a couple of weeks ago. We were getting you know. Uh, 10, 15, 20 meters for a drive, which for Spirit is, is uh, pretty good time. But right now we're actually having a little bit of a slow time getting around uh, kind of a, a really gentle little ridge that has uh, some, some dirt blown up against it. We're kind of get around that and kind of get around to the south of home plate so we can head towards our, our next science targets, which are about, oh, about 100 or 80 meters to the south of us right now. Hasn't that uh, that stuck wheel and the digging that it's done been at least a bit of a blessing in disguise? Oh, absolutely. In fact, it's it's made a, a very nice trenching tool. I mean, you know, we, <laughs> a lot of geologists, you know, carry a little shovel around with them to, to, to dig a trench and kind of see what's uh, under the very surface of the dirt. So uh, uh, Spirit does that as a matter of course now, whether we like it or not. And it's turned up some really interesting stuff for us. It's opened up uh, sort of a window into the, the, the subsurface of, of the soil. The thing that, that's really uh, jumped out at us is some very, uh, it looks like snow almost, really white soil in, in, in the, the images. And we've done some analysis on these in several places now. In fact, we found it over about, oh, more than halfway around home plate, sort of from the uh, sort of eastern side uh, all the way around the north. And now we're seeing it again down the western side of home plate. And this white soil turns out to be uh, chemically a very uh, a distinctive fingerprint of uh, hydrothermal or, or volcanic uh, vent activity. Uh, we found some soils that are very high in, in salts, uh, sulfate salts, that uh, are, are typically concentrated by, by this kind of activity, and some soil which is high, really, really high concentrations of uh, amorphous silica, which is uh, uh, the mineral opal. And in powdered form, again, this is something that, that we find uh, in hydrothermal systems like uh, Yellowstone uh, pools and things like that on the Earth. Also in some of the uh, volcanic steam vents around the active volcanoes like in Hawaii. Wow. So this is something that's, that's uh, really fascinating. And, and the thing that, that's kind of enticing about it is that this is actually in the soil, and it's not more than than uh, a handful of millimeters below the surface, you know, just a fraction of an inch below the surface. And we know that this dirt gets blown around on Mars. You know, we can see the ripples moving. And so this is in a mobile, mobile uh, material. Conceivably, this is relatively recent. I mean, it could be geologically recent uh, activity that caused that. Um, we, we can't say for certain, but the fact that it's not in a, in a solid rock, which could easily, you know, stay stay you know the way it is billions of years on mars the fact that it's in soil and we have the soil moving around from the wind indicates that perhaps this is something a little bit more recent than, than a lot of the other uh, processes we've been studying it just struck me that uh, we can now talk almost nonchalantly about uh, hydrothermal activity on this once dead planet <laughs> isn't that amazing i mean it's hard to think back you know five years ago before these rovers landed and we had you know lots of evidence from orbit that there was some kind of uh, 
water activity on, on, on Mars, you know, billions of years ago, we could see channels that had been carved and, and, and some uh, sort of uh, poorly formed valley networks. And so we knew that there was some water that happened sometime, but maybe for a very short period, and we didn't really know whether it was pervasive or not. And now, you know, from the, the evidence on these two rovers on opposite sides of the planet of really uh, uh, pervasive and really uh, uh, generally active uh, activity of water that's changed these rocks around on, in, in lots of different ways. The idea that, that water was plentiful on the Martian surface and subsurface uh, back early in its history is, is, is so well accepted, it's hard to remember that, that once we, we weren't sure about it. We'll hear more from Mars Exploration Rover Project scientist Bruce Bannard when Planetary Radio continues in a minute. I'm Robert Picardo. I traveled across the galaxy as the doctor in Star Trek Voyager. Then I joined the Planetary Society to become part of the real adventure of space exploration. The Society fights for missions that unveil the secrets of the solar system. It searches for other intelligences in the universe, and it built the first solar sail. It also shares the wonder through this radio show, its website, and other exciting projects that reach around the globe. I'm proud to be part of this greatest of all voyages, and I hope you'll consider joining us. You can learn more about the Planetary Society at our website, planetary.org radio, or by calling 1-800-9-WORLDS. Planetary Radio listeners who aren't yet members can join and receive a Planetary Radio t-shirt. Our nearly 100,000 members receive the internationally acclaimed Planetary Report magazine. That's planetary.org radio. The Planetary Society, exploring new worlds. Welcome back to Planetary Radio. I'm Matt Kaplan. We're in the middle of an update from JPL's Bruce Bannard, project scientist for the stunningly successful Mars Exploration Rover's Spirit and Opportunity, nearly five and a half years into their sojourn on the Red Planet. Bruce has been telling us about Spirit's progress, including its discovery of this interesting white material just a few millimeters below the surface. So white stuff, not far under the surface, although I guess uh, Phoenix will still have a monopoly on finding uh, water, uh, digging up water ice. That's right. All our our evidence is is still uh, chemical evidence, not really, uh, we haven't really gotten our feet wet. Let's jump around to the other side of that planet and uh, check in with Opportunity, which uh, is uh, still covering a lot of ground. Is it still also going backwards? It switches around. Sometimes it goes frontwards and sometimes it goes backwards. Actually, uh, it's got all, all six wheels that are, that are working, although it's sort of had this uh, nagging problem where the, the uh, current in one of the front wheel motors tends to get a little bit high. That could be an indication of, of wear in that motor. And what we found is that uh, if we turn the, the rover around and, and run it backwards for a while and let it rest, those currents go back down to normal. And we think that perhaps you know there's some... Uh, lubricant that's getting uh, redistributed in the gearbox. These things have a, a, an amazing gear ratio of, of hundreds to one on, on, on these motors huh. uh, so that uh, they've got lots of little gears in there. And, of course, as these wheels spin around and around and around, you know, we're, we're producing some kind of wear in these, in these gears, and, and there's lubricant that was only you know, designed to last for 90 days, and we don't, we don't get to go in and have a grease job every, <laughs> uh, every 20,000 miles like, like uh, we do on the Earth here. So... Uh, so far, we've been able to, like I said, in every case that it's happened, uh, mitigate it by resting it and by running it backwards for a while, where we think it redistributes this, this lubricant. Other than that, it's it's been uh, 
been really healthy. We're, just, we're keeping an eye on that, and we've been going frontwards, going backwards. Rowers doesn't really care which way it goes too much, actually. How is its uh, progress toward that uh, still pretty distant uh, destination called Endeavor? Uh, it's making really good progress. In fact, we made uh, almost half a kilometer in, in, in one week of driving, which is uh, pretty darn good for these rovers. I mean, uh, there's a lot of uh, sort of what we call ripples. They're sort of small sand dune-like features that you can get stuck in if you're not careful. It's happened. Uh, but right now we're kind of um, going with the grain of these things, so we were able to, to sort of uh, run down the, the, the trough between these ripples uh, pretty pretty well. So we're making pretty good progress. We can make uh, up to 100, 120 meters in a day when, when we're driving. Wow. And every once in a while we get a little bit stuck, but uh, We've got uh, some pretty uh, effective uh, autonomous checks for that on on board now, so we don't uh, dig ourselves in deep like we did uh, a few years ago at Purgatory. So we've got uh, several kilometers we've we've made now since uh, we left Victoria Crater. We still have about um, oh about 13 or 14 kilometers to go to to get down to that uh, Endeavor Crater. But we can see it in the on the horizon now. We can actually see the the rim of Endeavor uh, uh, sort of just coming up above the horizon. Uh, 12, 13 mile, uh, kilometers to the south of us. I've got a great picture uh, from our site, planetary.org, right in front of me from uh, the last uh, uh, major report that was done by my colleague AJS Rail, and I bet we're due for another one of those fairly soon. But, of course, we'll put up the link to uh, your site at JPL as well. Quickly, with just a couple of minutes left, uh, it's is it all about transportation now for uh, opportunity getting there, or uh, is science being done along the way? Moving along is our highest priority right now, but we're able to do quite a bit of science. Uh, we can look off to the side, and, and we've been uh, actually going a little bit out of our way every once in a while to, to run by some, some small craters that we can identify from the orbital imaging, which is really fantastic resolution orbital imaging we're getting right now from the uh, high-rise instrument on mm. uh, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. And so we can we can plan our plan our route to go by you know uh, scenic scenic views every once in a while and, and, and pick those guys up. We're also keeping our eyes open for what we call uh, exotic cobbles, and these are, are rocks which are uh, hand size or, or larger that we can get our our uh, analysis instruments on. The Meridiani Plains that are opportunities going across are really uniform uh, sulfate sandstone, and it hasn't changed much in all the time we've been driving across it. And we've put on like 15 kilometers now on this, this machine. But these are there are some rocks laying around every once in a while that are meteorites or that have been blasted from somewhere else on the planet. And so these are something with a different mineralogy, a different composition. And so we're watching for those. And when we find something like that, we, we can stop and do an analysis. So we're doing some science as we go along. And certainly, you know, if we find anything that's uh, out of the ordinary, we're going to stop and, and look at it. But our eyes pretty well set on that uh, Endeavor crater, and we're trying to make the best uh, rate we can towards that. Eyes on the prize. What's the spirit there at JPL? You guys have been at this for so many years. The science continues to roll in. And, and really, I think it'd be difficult to point to any other mission that has generated as much cumulative excitement as uh, these two little rovers. It's it's a little bit hard to to believe maybe, but it's still just like, you know, Christmas morning every day. I mean, <laughs> we were we're planning, you know, a, a drive on one or the other of these rovers every day, sometimes two a day. The science team is 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 distributed across the country, but we have these uh, teleconferences every morning and just 
we can't wait to, to see the stuff that's, that's come down from the day before, and we can't you know wait to do the the, the the drives and the measurements for the next day. And and it's it's still exciting after all these years. I mean, we haven't gotten the seven year itch yet. Well, please give our best wishes to the rest of the team, and we'll look forward to checking in again sometime soon. Thank you for continuing to share all these wonders uh, from the Red Planet uh, with those of us uh, down here on the little blue one. Well, really, it's my pleasure. It's a thrill to to still be here after all these years and be able to to share this with people. And and I'm really uh, thrilled about the, the stuff you guys are doing over there at the Planetary Society. Thank you. We'll try and keep it up. And you guys, please do the same. Bruce Bannert is the project scientist for the Mars Exploration Rover Project. He is a planetary scientist, geologist at JPL, and uh, among other things, among other awards he's picked up back in 2002, those included the JPL Award for Excellence. And we'll do a little exploring of the night sky when we move on to What's Up with Bruce Betts, just moments away here on Planetary Radio. From one Bruce right on to another, it's time to talk with Bruce Betts, the Director of Projects for the Planetary Society. He's here with uh, What's Up and is here just back from uh, Spain, where uh, I guess uh, you had an interesting experience on the flight back. Hola. (laughs) Why, yes, you, you know everything, don't you? My spies are out there. Out of Madrid, the mysterious mechanical failure. So we're going back to Madrid. And meanwhile, they were uh, dumping, dumping, dumping fuel out of the wings. It was really quite impressive. Wow, must have been pretty. <laughs> it was, actually. <laughs> I, I took pictures. I took video. It was wonderful. And, and we lived through it, so that was all the much better. Uh, tell us about other pretty stuff up in the night sky. All right. We've got in the evening sky... You might still be able to check out Mercury, but it's getting low and getting dimmer over there in the west just after sunset. It's right near the Pleiades star cluster. We've also got Saturn, though, still up very high in the south after sunset and in the early evening, uh, looking kind of yellowish, still in Leo, below Leo, at least the way I think about Leo. And uh, in the pre-dawn, it is uh, nasty with planets. And thanks to my uh, severe confusion of what time zone I was in, I was up before dawn and had a lovely view of uh, Venus and Jupiter over Granada. Oh, right. It was to catch that flight. Jupiter is the really bright object to the upper right and uh, Venus the really bright object to its lower left. It's tougher. You might see Mars below Venus, uh, almost directly below Venus by just a little bit. But uh, both Jupiter and Venus, quite striking. Also, uh, peak of the Eta Aquarids meteor shower happening on uh, the morning of May 6th. Extra meteors a few days before and a few days after. This is uh, optimum for our Southern Hemisphere listeners, of which I know we have many, uh, where they get a better shot at the radiant of the the meteor shower and might get up to 60 or 80 meteors per year. It's it's perhaps the, the best of the year for them. Did you notice that you said 60 or 80 per year? Uh, no, I didn't notice I said that. <laughs> and, you know, you would, but that's if you only went out for one night per one hour per year. Yeah. Which is how I do it. Anyway, 60 to 80 per hour. Thank you for the correction. You're welcome. On to Random Space Facts. A little jet lag there at the end? Yeah, yeah. Kind of couldn't, couldn't hold it. 
I have, of course, been hearing tons of random space facts at uh, the Planetary Defense Conference, and uh, they've been leaking into the Planetary Society blog where you can read more about the conference. And they've also been on uh, my random space fact Twitter account. But let me give you one, the basic kind of overview one, which is that there have been about 6,000 near-Earth objects now discovered still discovering lots more. Of those 6,000, they've discovered about 800 that are bigger than a kilometer. This is, you know, ruin a whole lot of people's day if they hit. Uh, they've now reached the goal of discovering over 90% of those, but still some more to be found. And about 20% of this whole 6,000 population are considered potentially hazardous objects, meaning they really get close enough to Earth that we should pay more attention to them. I was going to wait until the very end of the conversation and ask you more about the conference, but and I will still do that, but thank you. that That's a sobering uh, fact there. Sobering. Shall we go on to the trivia contest? Sure. Uh, I asked you last time around about the moon, and as seen from the surface of the Earth, how big is the full moon in angular size to the nearest tenth of a degree of arc? How'd we do, Matt? You know, I, I can't explain it, but we only got about half the uh, entries that we normally get, but most of them were correct. Uh, a few people uh, didn't quite understand that you wanted this answer in degrees. You said to the nearest tenth of a degree, and uh, that's good news, I suppose, for Craig Hutchinson because it helped the odds on random.org. Craig Hutchinson of Suffolk, Virginia. It's only been just over three months since Craig last won, so... Uh, definitely good news for him. He said, to the nearest tenth of a degree of arc, the moon subtends 0.5 degrees as seen from Earth. That is correct. Yeah, We had other people who pointed out, as did Ed Lupin, that uh, it varies between uh, 0.49 and 0.57. Or, as a lot of people put it, uh, Olivier Lasso among them, 29.3 to 34.1 arc minutes. Sure, you could go that way. Wait, is it like breathing or what? What? <laughs> It's what like breathing. <laughs> no, I actually, I know what the answer is. I mean, why is the moon getting smaller and larger on a regular basis? Uh, it's... Oh, that's what you meant. I thought you thought I were asking if the moon was breathing. I thought you were concerned about my health. Yes, I, I'm still breathing. It was just a bad joke. Oh, uh, okay. No, it's uh, it's the elliptical nature of the moon's orbit, meaning it's not, not in a perfect circle. That yeah. joke was of a rather elliptical nature, actually. Uh, but I'm... Um, yeah, so a half degree, this is actually something, this is a good little random space fact to stick in your head kind of regularly, because if you look up stuff in the night sky, like how far away are Jupiter and Venus, and it'll be given in degrees of arc, or arc minutes, for those who like bigger numbers. Well, Craig, we're going to send you another Planetary Radio t-shirt. Actually, probably got a calendar three months ago, so it's time that he got a t-shirt and a chance for a uh, Oceanside Photo and Telescope rewards card. I also wanted to point out that the sun also subtends about half a degree of arc, so the same as the moon, and that's why we get total eclipses, because they have the same rough angular size. So it also gives you an idea in the daytime sky of uh, what half a degree of arc looks like. Let us go on to the next trivia contest, and I just can't get enough near-Earth objects and planetary defense and threat of asteroids, so uh, let's give you a practical example. Uh, similar but distinctly different from last week's question, I ask you, what is the only natural object, so not artificial man-made satellite, but only natural object that was observed in space and tracked before it hit the Earth? 
go to planetary.org slash radio and find out how to enter. And you've got until May 11. That would be Monday, May 11 at 2 p.m. Pacific time to get us that answer. Before we finish, any other highlights uh, from that uh, little trip that you just got back from to uh, España? I mean, I, es, Hispaniola, I, I took French in high school. <laughs> yeah, go with España. <laughs> Uh, it, it was it was good and uh, it was interesting. Like uh, 150, 200 of the world's experts on near Earth objects and learned a lot talking about detecting and tracking and what we do to actually try to stop these. Uh, but the one thing that came out of it all was there's there's a lot more work to be done. Uh, we also announced our new Shoemaker Neo grant winners, as you know from last week's show. As I mentioned, I did put some uh, entries into the Planetary Society's blog, so you can check them out there for a little a little bit more in the way of an uh, update from the conference. Okay, excellent. And I don't know how you're making those weird things happen with your voice, but uh, it's, you're very talented, as we know from Random Space Fact. I, it's, I think... <laughs> a talent, it's a trick I learned in Spain. <laughs> I think Skype is letting us down this week. So we'll just say good night. Go out there looking up up in the night sky and think about the the pleasant feel of your own bed. Thank you, and hasta luego, and buenas noches. <laughs> and, and buenas noches to you. He is the doctor, the director of projects for the Planetary Society. He joins us every week here for What's Up. The Kepler spacecraft is preparing to search for Earth-like planets circling other stars. Join us next time for a conversation with its science principal investigator, William Barucki. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California. Have a great week.